0: we got the alternative energy, right. kill our free autonomy. We
1: and well, welcome
2: we to-, to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show, I'm K.A. Part of this week's rad show has been recorded on the unceded lands of the Wadjuk Noongar, or better known as Perth. On today's show, I'm going to bring you recordings taken at a public forum event in in Perth recently on the Ulliri uranium mine proposal on environmental law and extinction. Ulliri is on country targeted for a uranium mine by Canadian uranium company Cameco. The Ulliri legal challenge is now at an appeal stage heard on the 5th of March this year and we await the outcome. The project does not have federal approval. Today's show will include Dave Sweeney, Declan Doherty and Ruby Hamilton from the Environmental Defender's Office in Western Australia and from Yaliri Traditional Owner Vicky Abdullah.
0: I want to start tonight by acknowledging the Traditional Custodians and Owners of the land on which we meet today, the Noongar Bibbulmun people, and to acknowledge the fact that their sovereignty has never been ceded. I um, pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to people from other First Nations from around the country who are in this room with us tonight. My name is Dave Sweeney. I work uh, and lead ACF, the Australian Conservation Foundation's nuclear-free work. I'm generally based at ACF's national office in Melbourne, and it's a real pleasure to be here and to be invited and to be part of this event tonight in Perth. And one of the things that I um, think that it illustrates, and, and for me being here is that this is an issue far beyond WA goldfields, far beyond WA. It is an Australia-wide and beyond issue because what we have here is a question of, you know, what values, what priorities, what legal protections and what choices we make. Uh, An extractive uh, industry with a poisonous product or species and extinction. Um, These are really profound questions and very important stuff. Um, So... These implications are national but where it's being tested is in the court of public appeal and public opinion in WA and also in the Supreme Court in WA and it is, as Carmen said, an issue where we have a project that is without consent and against explicit Environmental Protection Agency recommendations. So the Ulliri legal challenge is a really important thing, but it's also a very brave thing. To take the state and to take a multinational mining company to court is a very big deal. It's complex, it's costly, and frankly, it can be nerve-wracking. And we are lucky tonight to have some of the fine folks from the Environmental Defender's Office to walk us through part of the story. Declan Doherty is a principal solicitor at the EDO. Declan started this role in 2017 and through his professional legal experience he's a detailed understanding of environmental law right across the board. Environmental impact assessment, water management, biodiversity, conservation, climate change, Aboriginal, First Nation heritage, (coughs) mining and land access, and importantly, human rights as well. He has played a key role in the O'Leary Legal Challenge and particularly in helping to build a really strong, enduring and powerful relationship between the three dual traditional owner, native title holders who are party to this challenge and the state's leading Environmental Voice Conservation Council of WA. Shirley and Lizzie Woyabong, Vicky Abdullah are really powerful people who are taking strong steps to convey the concerns long held um, about this project and the protection of their country. And joining Declan in talking about some of the legal aspects of this case is Ruby Hamilton. Ruby is a solicitor with the EDO and was working with Declan on the Elyria case during a time when she was a volunteer law graduate with the EDO last year and now in her role there as a solicitor. So it's a great pleasure um, to both acknowledge the efforts of and to welcome the presence and insights tonight of Declan and Ruby.
3: Thanks very much, Dave. Maybe while the slides are getting ready just to move things along, um, also want to acknowledge the work of um, Dave and also Carrie-Anne Garlick and uh, Mia Pepper from the Conservation Council, um, in helping build this case, it's been amazing working with them, and it's also been amazing working with the traditional custodians Shirley, Lizzie, um, and Vicky as well on this case. A real honour working with such powerful people, campaigners who've been on country for many, many years campaigning against this mine. And I've learned a lot, and so has the staff and volunteers of the EIO learned a lot from those people in in building this case. Um, and I'd also like to acknowledge the work of. Um, Dr Hunter Scooby, who was the lead barrister in the first stage of the case, and also Brett Walker, Senior Counsel, who's agreed to take on this appeal pro bono as well and come over from Sydney from his very busy practice to run this case. And I think as Dr Carmen Lawrence said, it's a testament to the case that that Brett Walker has decided to take this case on as well, so we're really looking forward to that. Um, Yes, Ruby Hamilton worked on this case as a volunteer last year, and also Sarah Flynn, who's over there, a solicitor. Worked on the case, and, and in terms of the nerve-wracking aspect of the case, we had the EDO, myself as principal solicitor, and, and Hunter Scooby um, leading the case, but with volunteers behind us in the courtroom. On the other side, we had the state solicitor's office, the state solicitor, and QC's from from Cameco against us, and we managed to hold our own. Unfortunately, we didn't get the decision we wanted, but after the opinion of Brett Walker and Dr. Scooby, we we decided to launch this appeal to the Court of Appeal, which is being heard on the fifth of March. Um, And I suppose the theme uh, and what we're presenting today, Ruby will give us um, the overview of what the case is all about and why we're taking this this challenge, and then afterwards I'll make some remarks about what I've learnt in the role and in particular in running the case in terms of some of the improvements that could be made to, to WA's environmental laws, and it's a real time for reform. I think, in WA and nationally for for reform of our laws. And we could have a two-day workshop on that. But I think what's important is to touch on some of the themes that come out of this case that could could go to improving WA's environmental laws. And and the main theme, I think, that comes out of this is discretion and discretion of decision-makers throughout the environmental assessment and approvals process. Because how could it be that when all of the science shows that a species will become extinct and that following a rigorous environmental assessment and appeals process where the EPA has recommended that a project shouldn't go ahead, that it is allowed to proceed anyway. And the answer lies mainly in discretion and discretion of decision-makers who don't have to account for the decisions that they make. So that's what the case is all about, and it's also why we need significant reform to to our environmental laws. But first of all, who is the Environmental Defenders Office? Because a lot of people still haven't heard about us and what we do. We're a not-for-profit community legal centre, part of a broader network of community legal centres around WA and around Australia. And we're also part of a network of Environmental Defenders Offices around Australia. And we... I guess, punch above our weight a lot. You would have heard of the significant decision that came out of New South Wales last week, the Rocky Hill coal mining project that was refused on a number of grounds, including climate change. And it was the EDO that ran that case in the Land and Environment Court. And these are the the important cases that the EDOs run around the country to test the law to take on that challenge um, and to improve environmental decision-making. So the key test for us to take on a case such as E'Leary, we can't take on any case. We need to determine that it's in the public interest. And I've set out here what EDO's public interest test is. Um, It must have a significance beyond a material or financial interest of a particular personal group, and I think we can tick that box for E'Leary. We've got the traditional custodians involved, been campaigning for years on a voluntary basis to protect their country, as well as the campaigners from Conservation Council and um, ACF and many, many other people campaigning against the project. It needs to involve a real threat to the environment. This case involves potential or likely extinction of subterranean fauna species, um, as well as destruction of habitat and country. It needs to have the capacity to result in a good environmental outcome. So this case, not only if we're successful, would result in the mine not going ahead, but it would also potentially lead to some significant environmental law reform. And it also concerns the manner in which the environment is regulated, and raises matters regarding the interpretation and administration of the law. And what's interesting about this case is there's very little talked in the court about extinction or subterranean fauna. It's all about the decision-making powers of the minister, and, and that's important from a law reform and also public interest perspective in its own right as well, and that's why we decided to take this case on. But it's also using the law to prevent extinction as well. So what I might do is throw to Ruby, who's going to take us through the next part of the presentation to really set out what the case is all about.
4: Thanks, Declan. Um, So this is the Ulliri uh, case, which is now at an appeal stage, but we'll just give you a bit of uh, background on how it came about. Uh, So EDO has been representing the three native title holders um, and the Conservation Council since 2016. Uh, in this, which is a challenge uh, via judicial review uh, of the former Minister for Environment, so that was Minister Albert Jacob, um, approval of Cameco's proposal for a uranium mine uh, in at Elyria. So judicial review is an application to the Supreme Court, uh, which seeks to challenge the legal basis on which a government decision has been made. Uh, and it was heard by Chief Justice Martin, uh, who on the 8th of February then dismissed the application. Uh, and that's where we are at now with the current appeal, uh, which will be heard uh, by the Court of Appeal on the 5th of March. In this case, the appeals convener did recommend that the appeals be dismissed, so that Camico's appeal, essentially, uh, which tried to argue that the proposal would not have unacceptable impacts on steiger Fauna, uh, that appeal was recommended to be dismissed and then the Minister appeared to accept that recommendation um, and made a decision to dismiss the appeal. The other options that he had were to direct the EPA to make a reassessment of the proposal or vary the recommendations in the EPA report. Uh, So that's the appeal decision by the Minister. So that is solely concerned with the EPA report. Uh, There is... Uh, one specific limit on this decision-making power, which is the substance of uh, the Elyria case, the EPA Act, the Environmental Protection Act, provides that the Minister's implementation decision, so that decision on whether the, uh, whether the proposal can be approved, uh, it cannot be otherwise than in accordance with their decision that was made as to appeals on the EPA report. So there's the, there's the very glamorous and fun subsection up there, which the whole case essentially turns on. Um, the question really is whether that subsection, 456A2, limited the Minister's power to approve the proposal. So it's not all about uranium mining and species, unfortunately, when you get to the courtroom, it's about subsections. Uh, So, in short, the Minister's no appeal decision cannot then become a yes implementation decision. The importance of the appeal is that that, that, that's the practical effect that it could have. So, uh, we and, of course, CCWA and the traditional owners believe that the appeal is especially important to test the decision-making powers of the Minister under the EP Act. We already know that they're quite discretionary, but... this does appear that some of the limits that we thought were in place may not actually have that effect. Uh, So it will clarify whether an appeal decision on an EPA report can only affect what the Minister has to take into account in that second implementation decision, or whether the Minister's power to make the implementation decision is limited to one which conforms with the substance of the appeal decision. So that's the essential question that's coming out of this. Um, and in coming to that decision, we'll also be able to test some principles of statutory interpretation, which will be of importance for future cases. So, thank you.
3: Thanks very much, Ruby. <laughs> yeah, Ruby's really breakdown, down what's been a very complex case over a couple of years, um, quite succinctly as well, so so well done. Um, I guess one of the key takeaways from the case that really struck us was that, again, as I mentioned at the start, it was a, a really rigorous environmental impact assessment process done by the EPA, and the EPA is required to publish a detailed report at the end of that process. There's also an appeals process. Again, the the appeals convener needs to produce a detailed report, but at the end of the day, the Minister and his or her Cabinet colleagues can make a decision that takes into account other non-environmental factors but doesn't need to provide reasons, particularly when... They, you know, the decision goes against all of the environmental science and the findings as well. And that's, that's the nub of the case as well, is that if the Minister had to come out and justify why he or she wanted to contradict the EPA's report, well, that, that would be a, a great step forward and that's one of the, I guess, my recommendations for law reform in WA, that the Minister's held to account and can stand up and say, OK, well, the, so many jobs or so many royalties to the state can trump the environment. But at the moment, you don't hear anything and the, the Minister... Effectively, we say, contradicted his appeal decision when he actually agreed with the EPA's report and agreed that this project would cause extinction. And that's why we think it's important to test this in the court, albeit quite a complicated process um, that we're going through. Before I end, because I think we're reaching the limit... I- I have this takeaway, and it's perhaps not as relevant to a big project like Leary but it's another thing that's occurred to me through looking at the approvals processes and assessment processes in WA, and it's come from a an essay, essay from William Odom, um, and an economist from 1982, and he, he wrote a paper called "Environmental Degradation: The Tyranny of Small Decisions," and it's all all about the small decisions that get made throughout the state every day that lead to destruction of habitat and our, our, our nearing the extinction of a lot of species. And he said in this paper, much of the current confusion and distress surrounding environmental issues can be traced to decisions that were never consciously made but simply resulted from a series of small decisions. No one purposely planned to destroy almost 50% of the existing marshland along the coast of Connecticut and Massachusetts. In fact, preservation would have been supported. However, through hundreds of little decisions, a major decision in favour of extensive wetlands conservation was made without ever addressing the issue directly. The ecological integrity of the Florida Everglades has suffered not from a single adverse decision but from a multitude of small pinpricks, including independent choices to add one or more drainage canal, one or more roadway, one or more retirement village, and one or more well to provide Miami with drinking water. And it's not clear how the decision to degrade the Everglades can be reversed each threatened and endangered species, with few exceptions, owes its special status to a series of small decisions, and they've all suffered from the combined effects of a single decision made about habitat conversion or over-exploitation. And I think that's one of the main problems, going back to discretion, there's discretion in decision-makers who are allowed to grant small clearing permits or allow exemptions to occur decisions by the EPA not to assess a project perhaps when there's a lot of big workload going on or it's a routine project without regulators stepping back and looking at the cumulative impacts of um, destruction of habitat or impact of species as well. So I think um, as a takeaway I'll leave you with that one but I think there's, there's our theme and the reason why we ran this case is there's a great scope for law reform in WA and we hope we're successful in this case but if we're not... I think the battle will keep going and it will give us more ammunition for, for arguing for better environmental laws in WA. Thanks.
0: Thank you very much, Declan and, and Ruby. Every day I am, uh, I am routinely amazed and in awe of the good heart and good heads of people doing stuff, navigating complex mazes to make uh, environmental protection Um, As it's been said, this is sort of a a question between discretion and evidence in one sense. Um, um, I'm not even a Bush lawyer, but to me it seems remarkable that an 11th-hour decision by a politician against the advice of their own agency after he had previously accepted the advice and and found correct the advice of his own agency, an 11th-hour decision... Of a politician that subsequently not only lost government but lost his seat, how can that continue? How can the signature continue to have implications for people and country? How can that not be called back? We need to close the gap between law and justice and make those two things more integrated and If the legal system cannot prevent extinction, then the legal system is in dire need of fixing and I think that 's the bigger picture of what declan and Ruby was saying, and it's really very evidenced by the fact that Brett Walker um, is is engaged in this uh, process as well because of the importance of that legal protection. Declan made the very important point that one way to increase people's access to the law and the confidence of good legal decisions and recourse would be to provide some action against cost protection because that can be prohibitive, It it is a major stumbling block and it also is a major opportunity cost. It strips away opportunities for other campaigning and other initiatives because you're paying someone else's legal bills. That's the thing that makes a fear in the bottom of your stomach. So one thing that has happened, and K.A. and Mia Pepper and other people from CCWA have done a magnificent job in this, is crowdsourcing and fundraising to address legal costs. And I'd really urge you, to the extent that you can, there's a, a Raisely page, which is one of the many crowdfunding um, platforms to raise money for this uh, this initiative to cover the court costs, um, because it is so important to do that. To the extent that you can, there's the details and the piece of paper that I think most of you got when you came in. Have a look at that. It's very important. Um there's a couple of quick things before we move into the next section. But one is that um, Ruby raised the point that in the longer term, one of the positive outcomes from this case could be that the ensures the project does not go ahead. That would be, as Carmen Lawrence said, an extremely positive outcome and the desired outcome. But it's important to note that this action has already seen federal approval of this project deferred The federal government has said, because their state and federal approval both needed, the federal government has said we will wait to see the outcome of the Western Australian legal case. Now that means we're going in to another federal election and all that with this mine uncertain. It also means that it was 10 years ago that the federal government listed Yiliri as a controlled action. And in that 10 years it still hasn't been approved at a federal level. And that's not by accident. It is because of resistance, legal, popular and, above all, traditional owners. And I'd really like to acknowledge the strength of the three-dual women, Lizzie, Shirley and Vicky. And unfortunately, because of tough timing and the tyranny of distance, and that's something that you in the West well understand, Vicky Abdullah, who was one of the applicants on the court case and was going to be here tonight, couldn't make tonight's event so she sends her profound apologies, her solidarity, and she sends her, support, uh, her gratitude at your support. And so why she can't be here with us in person, she is certainly with us in spirit, but she's also here with us in the image. So if we can take a minute to see Vicky Abdullah.
1: I feel strong about this area, so I can feel all my ancestors around me. Um, Coming back on country here is so beautiful. You can sit and listen to the birds, look at the trees, look at the beautiful plants. All these little things, all the little small animals to the big animals. a big mess to our Mother Earth. We say no to uranium, want the uranium, leave it in the ground. I am involved as a, as a now and present um, in the Supreme Court action to stop the Leary uranium mine, to sa- save our country. Please donate today. Thank you.
0: Ruby spoke about um, the very legalistic nature of of a lot of the court uh, action, and when you sit there and you and you see a native title holder and a traditional owner saying, I'm standing up to protect my country, they're not standing up for 45.6a2. <laughs> and it's really important to remember that there's, there's two laws in this land. And, um, you know, as, as Declan said, irrespective of how things go on March 5, there is a profound challenge for all of us to work towards protection of species and respect for the peoples of this land. One of of the things that I'd like to do is while we're here in this place as a collective mob of a shared concern that we acknowledge the work and the efforts of those who have done this case. (laughs) Ruby, Declan... Shirley, Lizzie, Vicky, CCWA, for taking those steps. Giannis, really big steps. Sometimes people say, well, you know, there's an old saying that if you... You know, we, what if you lose? Well, the other thing is that if you're, if you're standing up, you're speaking as strongly and as clearly and as potently as you can for country and for culture and for species that can't speak in words that we hear. You mightn't you, you mightn- win, but you never really lose. And I think that's really important. But we want to win on March 5, and we want to win comprehensively because we need to, not for personal gain, but for a living planet. So thanks for the people who have made that effort and initiative possible, but thanks for the people that have made tonight's specific event possible. Earlier, Declan spoke about the tyranny of small decisions, the death by a thousand cuts. And hopefully the reverse can also be true. Hopefully the healing and the, and the end of the hurting can happen by the collective actions of many people. So in that context, I'd particularly like to thank you mob here for turning up. I'd like to really urge you to have a read, to have a look, have a think to the extent you can support in spirit and in, uh, in uh, cash and in any way that you can. Also in letting people know because... There are politicians, ex-politicians in this room, ex-members of parliament, state and federal, Joe Valentine, Lynn McLaren, who've been strong voices for this work over years. There are also apologies um, from current politicians in WA Parliament, Labor and Greens, for tonight's event. And one of the things that's really important about these sort of events is it does keep things on the radar. And that is the importance of not forgetting. So to everyone who's playing a part... Great uh, thanks and congratulations and all our hopes are for a good result on the 5th and one way or another we have the imperative, the responsibility and we have the ability to prosecute, irrespective of how that case goes, a living and habitable planet.
2: That was Dave Sweeney talking at the public forum we had here in Perth in February on the O'Leary Court Challenge. Other updates from the West on keeping WA nuclear free is the work being carried out on the proposed Kintyre uranium project in the Pilbara region. This project's environmental approval will expire in March 2020 and uh, the campaign's working on not allowing this project to be granted an extension The Kintyre project that's owned 70% by Cameco and 30% by Mitsubishi project a consumption of 3.1 million litres of water per day, projected production of 7.2 million tonnes of radioactive tailings, Mulga Rock Uranium project outside of Kalgoorlie, is currently on hold as a decision by the EPA and the State Environment Minister is to be announced as to whether Vimy Resources, which is backed by Andrew Forrest, needs a public environmental review after campaigners found that they had changed their project from a base metals plant to a sulfuric acid plant. The Mulga Rock Project is owned by Vimy Resources and they propose four open pits with a projected consumption of 15 million litres of water per day and a projected generation of 32 million tonnes of radioactive tailings. The Mulga Rock Project site is entirely inside the Yellow Sand Plain Priority Ecological Community and it's upstream from the Queen Victoria Springs A-Class Nature Reserve The Nuclear Free Campaign is calling on the EPA and the government for a new public environment review with these significant environmental changes to the project and uh, the proponent Vimy Resources are arguing that they do not need one. A big thanks to the speakers today, Dave Sweeney, Declan Doherty, Ruby Hamilton and Vicky Abdullah. And thanks to Adrian Glay Morgan and Elizabeth Poe from Perth's radio station RTRFM and their show Understory for sharing today's audio. This has been the radioactive show produced in the studios of 3CR on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people in Fitzroy, Melbourne. Heard nationally on the Community Radio Network, we would like to thank the ACE Nuclear Free Collective of Friends of the Earth Melbourne for their generous support. For Melbourne listeners, the Friends of the Earth Ace Collective have an art auction event coming up on Friday, April 12, from 5.30 at the Arena Project Space in Fitzroy. To listen to the Radioactive Show podcasts, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. You can contact us by email at the show3 cr at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for more news, views on nuclear, peace and energy issues.